It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have a lot to discuss today, one 408 Of course, I'll be able to talk to you on television tonight at 7, not doing Fox and Friends this week. Be able to lay the groundwork for that all throughout this show. Wilford Riley is going to be with us today. He wrote a, uh, he's an associate professor of political science at Kentucky State. He wrote a big column. And get this, America, not racist. Get that. Understand? Not racist. We're going to get his take on uh, swimming upstream in the world right now that you would believe if you uh, watch the news or listen to uh, some of the extremists. We're the worst country ever and never been worse. That's the way everyone views us because that's the way we view ourselves to the point where other nations, Europe in particular, are saying, keep that wokeism, that anti-history attitude away. Well, they looked at society, uh, all races, creeds, and genders, and they say, not racist. Wilfred, uh, uh, Wilfred Riley wrote about it. We'll discuss it with him. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The investment has to be made. It is a moral imperative, it is a political imperative. This kind of investment is of the magnitude, the scope and scale that needs to be done. Uh, That, of course, is a famous voice, Senator Richard Blumenthal, always sanctimonious, always emergency, always above it all. He wants and is going for it. Joe Biden meets with historians and has begun to massively transform America in his left-wing image. LBJ, Great Society, FDR, New Deal. Think about Joe Biden then. He feels like he only has two years to do it, and what means blowing up the filibuster. It's a horror show. I'll explain what he wants to do, but I will never support it. Number two. We know that the suspect is in custody. He was injured. They have not released any details about who he was, but we did see footage of uh, a white white man. In other words, CNN told you, we don't really know anything about what just happened. We do think a, quote, white man did it. Yeah, and that was a different story then. Hurt white people, hate white people. Turns out he's a Muslim from Syria. Some disgusting formula. Crazed gunman kills innocents and Dems blame guns and the new one, white people. The problem, the gunman is Syrian and nothing proposed in the Dems gun reform would have stopped it. You understand that, Joe Biden? Well, lay it out. Number one. Border Patrol is trying their fastest mm. and, and, and swiftest to process migrants as they enter unlawfully and get the proper documentation. When that happens, they're pulled away from the border, pulled away from patrol. It's just it's just overwhelming us. Wow. Uh, not a crisis at the border, says The Washington Post. Does anyone agree with that? It's Trump's fault for the overwhelming surge. Please don't tell me you buy that. Now the latest, most illegals are turned around at the border. Yet 83% get through, according to Axios. Why I believe the lying and the denials of this catastrophe cannot stand. I'm not kidding. 
that first voice that you heard is Mayor Bruno Lozano, a Democrat. He works there. He's uh, the he's from Del Rio. He was on this morning talking about how bad things are at the border. First off, on the Washington Post story, they do this analysis. They say, quote, we analyzed the CBP data from 2012 to now and found no crisis or surge can be attributed to the Biden administration policies. Rather, the current increase in apprehensions fits a predictable pattern of seasonal changes in undocumented immigration. Wrong. Okay, let's take a look at some of the data. Apprehensions. Broadly, February, 100,441 in 2021. In 2020, 36,687. I'm sorry. Uh, is that less than 100,000, 36,000? According to stats, and I just went to the judges, yes. In February of 2019, when things were kind of bad, it was 76,000. Uh, in February of 2018, 36,000, 17, 23,000, and 16, 38,000. That, to me, is fact, as opposed to rooting for Joe Biden to be successful and focus on his five, get this, $5 trillion infrastructure package. That, to me, is absolutely ridiculous and an insult to you and I, as is to Chad Wolf, whose job it was for under Donald Trump for the last two years to stop it. Cut it. That analysis is absurd, and I think most Americans would, would agree with that. Uh, we have a historic surge and a historic crisis occurring on that border, and it's not because it's a seasonal pattern. Yes, we do know that certain months of the year are higher traffic months than others. Uh, but if we look back at, at 2020 and other other years, you don't have this surge uh, simply because it's a warmer month. You have the surge because certain messaging coming from the Biden administration. Yeah. And you know who else says this? This American political figure called the Mexican president. You know, that that partisan American, the socialist leader of uh, the socialist leader of Mexico, our neighbor to the south. He was asked about what's going on at the border. He does not agree with the Washington Post, to put it mildly, that this is seasonal and is to be expected. He believes this is all about who's the president of the United States and the message that was sent when he won the election. The Mexican president, in fact, the exact quote is kind of interesting uh, because he says this, quote, expectations were created that with the government of of, uh, President Biden, there will be a better treatment of migrants. And this has caused Central American migrants, also from our country, Mexico, wanting to cross the border, thinking it is easier to do for us. Guess what they're doing tomorrow? White House officials are going to meet in Guatemala and Mexico with those officials and talk about a program, a task force, to reforming those countries and making it a better place to live, broadly stated. Great job. Nothing like a task force Three, four, five, six weeks after this crisis started, which you say is not a crisis, but we know it's a crisis. Now you're going to go down and meet with the countries. You had a deal, remain in Mexico. They put 20,000 of their Marines, did the Mexicans, on their southern border, and then they had 70,000 would-be migrants on our border as we process them from that, from the Rio Grande, from the Mexican side of the Rio Grande. Got it? That's a fact. Everything I just told you was happening. You got rid of the remain in Mexico, and you told uh, because of the pandemic, we had special provisions that if you're an unaccompanied minor, you go right back to your country. Your, your application ta- taken perhaps here or an embassy in your country, you go back. That was the policy. When Mexico said, okay, you changed the policy, that's fine. There's nothing to replace it. That's up to you. Then finally, they get a hold of their Mexican president. They say, can you stop what's happening at the border at all? And they go, yeah, we need some vaccine. 
He goes, I got some AstraZeneca laying around. Maybe we'd like to see that first. You tell me who's a better deal maker. That's a fact. Senator Lindsey Graham, who's going to be on with me tonight. Cut nine. I'm going down with 18 senators Friday. And if I'm denied the ability to look into any place I want to go, we're going to shut the Senate down. Where are all the liberal hypocrites? Where's AOC? Where's Elizabeth Warren? Where's Vice President Harris, who basically protested outside of a facility uh, in Homestead, Florida, during the Trump years, holding migrant children? So here's my message. President Biden, Vice President Harris, with all due respect, get off your ass and go to the border and look and see what you have caused by policies that will not work. When asked about this, Vice President Harris giggled in Jacksonville, where she went with absolutely no publicity to say, look what I did. I passed a $1 trillion package without any Republican support, most of which was all about the Democratic agenda. Vice President Harris, really not that interested, even though she's from a border state. You would think you don't need to look at a policy uh, page, a white paper on what's going on at the border, because she had to live it. She was attorney general. She saw the illegals live there. She saw the outstretched arms from Democratic governor after Democratic governor who said, if you want to come, you should be able to come, and you should be counted as part of the census, and we should be able to give you health care in California. That was not going to fly in Texas. It was not going to fly in Arizona. But now you are representing the country. Federal go- it's fe- federal responsibility to take care of the border. So guess what? These unaccompanied minors, by the thousands, over 10,000, are going to be fanned out across military bases and into convention centers at the cost of millions, maybe billions of dollars. Are you going to tell me you personally, if you felt bad about uh, giving out the 1400 you should be getting more. If you were an illegal immigrant, I think you'd be getting more, something like $750 on average between the medical care, between the uh, room and board. I think $750 a day. Why wouldn't you come here? Beach Guatemala, I imagine, judging by the brochures. Senator John Kirby, excuse me, Senator John, Admiral John Kirby, Pentagon spokesman, on the request from Homeland to take kids in. Let's listen. The department has received a request for assistance from uh, the Department of Health and Human Services uh, to temporarily house unaccompanied migrant children. Um, They've asked specifically for use of uh, Joint Base San Antonio, uh, Lackland, Texas, um, and Fort Bliss, Texas. Uh, We have just received this request, so I don't have much more detail than that. We'll uh, analyze it and evaluate it just like we would any other Request for assistance. And you'll do it. You'll push our men and women in camouflage off and out and have them fluffing pillows for children from other countries. Love children. Can't take them all in. Also like our kids. We feel more responsible for our kids that are in foster care, that need homes, rather than other kids who show up and may or may not have a relative here who are going to show up with a note in their pocket, their family mortgages everything to send them here. Let's say they have good intentions and they come across the border for humane reasons. 
and I'm being sarcastic. So the Boulder shooting took place a couple of days ago, and it's horrific. Ten people are dead, including a hero cop. This cop, father of seven, quit a high-paying, high-tech job at 40 years old to become a cop. He wanted to give back. He's heroically walks into the supermarket. We don't know exactly how yet. I was trying to read the account today, I think in the Washington Post, and they said he was. they just saw him on the ground. They don't see how, but heroically walks in, and this 21-year-old mutant, this terrible, evil uh, idiot, uh, born in Syria, came here at a young age, uh, a nut, uh, evidently a history of mental instability, losing his mind when he lost a wrestling match, uh, losing sitting at home, buying guns, doing nothing, uh, uh, sweating in his own body hair. And this guy decides he's going to get up as of right now, we don't have a motive, and start killing everyone randomly and just terrorizing everyone in Boulder. We don't know. We know this guy was on the FBI list because one of his friends was on the terror watch list and he was associating with them. We don't know detail. But people love this story, and it's just so uh, terrible to say in American society. It's always, who is it, and can we make political gain if the assailant is, I don't know, white and with an illegal gun? It turns out he bought the gun six days ago. He passed a background check. Oops, I thought background checks were going to stop everything. And he was able to buy a gun, a rifle, and kill a bunch of people, important people living their lives who just wanted to go to the supermarket. But the problem is this big story was that he was white, another crazed white man killing innocent people. They have to be stopped. And that was the story until we found out his name was Ahmed Ali Alawai Alisa, who's Muslim, born in Syria. Wait a second. Let's stop focusing on white people and maybe start focusing on the guns. So predictable and terrible. I'm not going to say it's acceptable. I'm pointing it out. So this activist, Amy Siskin, I don't know. I never heard of her either, but evidently she's got a big name. As soon as this happened, she tweets this out. His name does not determine skin color, nor does his religion. His skin appears white. And by the numbers, the vast majority of mass shooters are committed by white men. Great. That's an important point, right? Mina Harris, now deleted. She's the niece of the vice president of the United States. The Atlanta shooting was not even a week ago. Violent white men are the greatest terrorist threat in our country. Hmm, that's interesting. Uh, Mina Harris, a little bit later. I deleted a previous tweet about the suspect in the Boulder shooting. I made an assumption based on being taken into custody alive and the fact that the majority of mass shootings in the U.S. are carried out by white men, and they believe that white men are the only ones taken alive. So that's a good thing. If they're taken alive, they're getting special treatment. Believe me, this guy's either going to get the death penalty, Colorado has it, or he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison, hopefully in solitary confinement. The first thing he did, this loser did, who's basically naked, uh, was ask for his mom. So instead of focusing on the shooter, why he wasn't brought in, why his family didn't alert people, let's focus on the gun. And that, to me, is so predictable uh, for so many people. Senator John Kennedy joined me last night. And immediately, Joe Biden puts out two proposals for gun reform. Background checks. Uh, He also wants uh, another extension in terms of getting rid of the assault rifle ban. Senator John Kennedy, cut 21. In my judgment, we do not need more gun control. We need more idiot control. How do we do that? We've already tried. The Republicans have. Senator Grassley, Senator Cruz. Uh, had a bill to to strengthen our national database. We regulate gun ownership in America. If if you're convicted of certain crimes, if you have a tendency to violence, if you're you're mentally ill and you want to buy a gun, 
your name has to run through a database. The problem is that the database has huge holes in it. And many federal agencies and state agencies are very cavalier about sending in the names. Uh, Grassley and Cruz's bill, which I support, would have, would have tightened right. up the database and it would have cracked down on people who have guns who shouldn't have guns. You know why the bill didn't pass? Many of my Democratic uh, colleagues filibustered it. Statistics show that most common weapons used in mass shootings aren't even rifles. They're handguns. Can we please address the problem and not get to your agenda? one 408 7669 Your call's next. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm still hoping, maybe naively, that it can be done in a bipartisan way, but it must be done, if necessary, through budget reconciliation. And we also need to focus on voting rights. We need to focus on the rights of Americans going to the polls, casting ballots, which is also part of our democratic infrastructure. So if you read Axios today, it's something we've pretty much concluded on our own on this show and maybe in your own kitchen, uh, kitchen uh, table, uh, that it looks like Joe Biden is dead set on transforming the country. Evidently, in the East Room, he met with historians, and he's getting really intrigued about re- uh, changing the country the way they claim LBJ did with the Great Society, and I agree, uh, in a way which a lot of it was bad. Uh, when you look at what happened to the African-American family in a, ch- in a quest for uh, racial justice, it's, it's been a disaster. And if you see also what the New Deal brought in 1933 to brought it, bring us out of the Depression. I mean, there's a pushback on that. The Depression, we, we were coming out of it anyway. But for the most part, let's look at those two transformational Democratic leaders. They did do transformational things. But now Joe Biden is getting caught up with people who are saying that you have done more in a sh- 
out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Short time that Barack Obama did in eight years. And he also is open to blowing up the filibuster. He is open to changing the way we vote. That debate, uh, that H.R. 1, that would federalize elections for the most part. H.R. Uh, 1 uh, would uh, basically change the way we vote, make it voting season as opposed to voting day, would loosen up uh, restrictions as it comes to showing up ID in order to vote. And then you look at uh, also what he's done with the $1.9 trillion, and now what he's saying could be the $5 trillion, $5 trillion infra- infrastructure package. He says he sees himself as a transformational president, open to blowing up the reconciliation jamming things through, and he only believes he has two years to do it because he's pretty convinced, and the odds are, that America's going to take the House away and America's likely going to take the Senate away. And not only that, he'll probably, he knows he's a one-term president. The problem is along the way for him, he fell down the stairs three times. Number two, the Russians recalled the ambassador, and they've got this incredible distraction at the border called a catastrophe that he refuses to acknowledge. It's up to Republicans with their attorney generals to sue him into constitutionality and make sure this doesn't go unhindered. Stop Biden now. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We're seeing on the streets of New York and L.A. and Minneapolis and Houston and Chicago is not a reaction to a public lynching, though that's what happened. We're not just seeing the reaction to the thousand people a year, roughly, that get killed by law enforcement every year since Ferguson. What we're seeing is a past due notice for the unpaid debts owed to black people for 400 years. Today is July 4th. For me, it was really important to show up and not only bear witness to history, but help in defining and shaping it. Today, we are reminded of a delayed promise by this America. Independence, freedom, and justice for all. But are we all free? Are we all free? Uh, Welcome back, everybody. Uh, So that is a cut from Boiling Point. It's a BET documentary, how racist we are as a country, of the George Floyd uh, protests. And you would think that if you listen to almost every media outlet and pick up almost every major newspaper. But the facts get in the way of this. While we're not a perfect society, we have made unbelievable progress. And never before have there been more opportunity for more genders. Uh, for for uh, gender equity as well as racial equity. That, according to the study of Wilford Riley, which I thoroughly agree with. He's an associate professor of political science at Kentucky State University and the author of books Taboo, The Ten Facts You Can't Talk About, and Hate Crime Hoax. Uh, uh, professor Riley, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Oh, thanks for having me on the show, Brian. So, Professor, I'm reading your commentary magazine column, and you talk about how, really, America, really not that racist, and the progress we made— uh, really from 1865 to today, is phenomenal. 
What makes you think so? Yeah, well, I mean, the facts, basically. But the, the column is an overall analysis. I mean, so the first page looks at residual but real racism that does exist in society. Um, I personally think this is mostly class, but your resume is a bit more likely to be rejected if it has a black name on it, so on. And I talk, I'm, I'm a former business exec, so I talk about actual solutions to that. If you think this the cause is racism, let's replace the names with numbers, let's encourage people to use initials. But then I go into sort of the reality of group relations in a America today, where I point out that in response to that racism I described, we've had pro-minority affirmative action for the last 55 years. I mean, the Philadelphia plan dates to 1967, 53 years. You know, there's a huge minority business sector, and no one seems to have ever looked at how whites do when they apply to black-owned or Asian-owned businesses. And in the actual context of that, I pulled up the Britannica and Wikipedia lists of the wealthiest groups in the country, and I was surprised to see that eight out of the top ten are, quote-unquote, groups of color. You've got Indian Americans, I believe Nigerian Americans, Japanese Americans, so on down the line. So I make this point that no society is ever perfect. I mean, if you read the Bible or the Old Text, you'll find lines like, the poor will be ever with us, clashes will be ever with us. But we seem to be doing pretty well, and that's definitely not the panicked image you get from a lot of mainstream media showing videos of people clashing in the streets with weapons and so on. That's, that's not reality for almost anyone in the country. You're right. Our, you know, our country legally banned uh, segregation in 1954, virtually all discrimination formally illegal in 1964, and has practiced pro-minority affirmative action since 1967. And since that time, we have making more and more progress. What happened? Why don't we have, uh, why is that not the perception for most of America? Because there are people that have a vested institutional interest in making that not the perception. I really don't think that's paranoid. It's just sort of a business case reality. I mean, those great groups that did a ton of good in the 1960s, if you're talking about you know, the SPLC, ACLU, so on and the line, are still here. And the question is, if there's very little real ethnic conflict, at least at the level of violence, at least at the level of big money, is there a reason to write these groups a check? And the answer to some extent is no. So what we've seen, I think, is the redefinition of terms like racism. Racism used to mean, and still does mean to me and almost everyone else in the real world, disliking members of another race. But when someone like Ibram Kendi, the sociologist, or Robin DiAngelo, name-dropping some of the academics here, says racism, what they mean is any system that produces outcomes that are at all disproportionate. So if blacks do worse than whites and Hispanics do worse than blacks on the SAT, the test must somehow be racist, even if no one can figure out how. And I mean, I frankly just think that's nonsense. By that standard, you know, the NBA and the NFL would be the most racist institutions in society, you know, mostly black, everyone else is white, there are no women at all. Uh, I, I don't think that stands up. So when you saw the George Floyd protest, first, first off, your reaction to the George Floyd and, and what happened uh, as the trial, as the jury gets set and the trial begins to start? I mean, I think what happened to George Floyd was a tragedy. Uh, the very least, you know, a man died. In the worst case scenario, a man was murdered. I have a lot of friends in law enforcement. I teach in political science and criminal justice, and they'll try to argue, you know, that neck hold is still the technique used in some non-updated police training manuals. My response to that would be, if I mean, I do some sparring on the side. If your technique for restraint is holding a guy down for eight minutes, you need to you need to change that. So that is a tragedy. The question with George Floyd is what it represents, right? And the presentation of this MSNBC, CNN, so on has been 
This is just another example of our white supremacist society lynching a black man and an all-white team of officers had their knee on America's neck. The reality is that either two or three of the four officers involved with Mr. Floyd's death were men of color, thousands of Hmong descent. Kung is, I think, Korean and black. Not sure about white. And Chauvin is uh, Caucasian of French descent. There's no evidence race really played any sort of role here. Mr. Floyd was relevant or not fairly intoxicated. And it turns out that this is extraordinarily rare. Uh, if you go to www.killedbypolice.net, any site like this, the total number of unarmed people like Mr. Floyd, not armed criminals, unarmed, fairly innocent people killed by the police in a typical year is between 9 and 15. And generally about two-thirds of those are white. So the idea that this is a problem that's sweeping the country, that again is something that's being said for gain by members of kind of one political side. That's, that's not really true. Well, uh, how do you feel about yeah, uh, reparations? One of the main things they talked about yesterday was reparations, and that lit up the phones. And I had people from all walks have different opinions on this, and you know it's beginning in Chicago where they're going to pay people, uh, a small group of people who have ancestors that date back from, I think, 1909 to 1925 who discriminated when it comes to housing, which they feel, based on their skin color, up to $20,000 to fix what they have now or to get a new home. And they say this is just the beginning. There's so many other cities and states that are moving in that direction. How would you feel about that, uh, Professor Wilford Riley? I actually – now, obviously, I myself am a right-leaning businessman, but I actually have a more nuanced perspective on this than you might think. I mean the U.S. government has paid reparative payments in the past to Japanese-Americans. So the, the real problem here is that no one in America has ever been a slave. Um, I mean we haven't – slavery itself, what you'd really be paying reparations for, ended in 1865 when the integrated Union Army conquered the South, burned every building o- over three stories to the ground. So, I mean – The moral argument there is a bit iffy, but I think that a bigger problem would be the logical arguments. So in terms of reparations, you know, one point here you could summarize is kind of who gets. For example, I'm half black, the other half Irish and native when I receive reparations. You know, who pays? Do the descendants of those heroic Union soldiers who are 89 percent white, do they pay reparations? Do individuals who came here from slavery in Sicily or Russia, do they pay reparations? And the next question is who's next? I mean, only a fool would forget that Native Americans, Irish Americans, women have organizations as well that would next make this demand. My final sentence here is kind of, I don't think you can have reparations and what we have. So as you mentioned, we've had affirmative action for 50 plus years. We've had reparative programs in place. I personally would rather get $50,000 to invest once than have affirmative action go on for the next 60 years. But you can't have both. And I think the next step, which could actually lead to racial tensions or even racial violence, would be people demanding both, saying, well, reparations was a good first step. And I think that would be a disastrous step for the country. Yeah, I don't know how you do it. Barack Obama, uh, evidently, his uh, mom's side descendant uh, uh, were held slaves. Obviously, does Barack Obama write a check? I I don't know how that works. Uh, Professor Riley, I was also struck by uh, a couple other things. Do you remember that the college scandal with all these uh, uh, these these rich actor families who are pretending their kids were in sports so they got fake scholarships and admission to schools? And so I was shocked, too, that I saw a lot of black students come up and say, you know what? Now, you know, how we feel because a lot of people look at us on campus and they say you're only here because you're a minority, because uh, that's how this is their words, not mine. And people look at us sideways saying, well, you're only here because they've got a certain amount of 
minorities that have to go to Harvard, have to go to Yale, have to be admitted to Princeton. And now when you see a celebrity walking on campus, they can they get the same looks that a lot of blacks feel, right or wrong. You know, how did you get in? Because you're a celebrity? Because your mom paid off somebody? And they say, well, now you know what it's like for us. Because I was valedictorian. When people look at me like I got a special dispensation because of the color of my skin or because of my heritage. And I was shocked by that. Because, you know, I never thought about it for for people that earn their way onto these campuses. Uh, They're not looked at that way because of the the affirmative action uh, said or unsaid with these schools. Yeah, I mean, that that definitely is one of the side effects of affirmative action. So just, Brian, as I suspect you in your personal life, I mean, I'm not a bigot, hate a racist, but it is important that we talk honestly about this stuff. Affirmative action isn't some illusion. Um, Affirmative action is extraordinarily real. I mean, if you are a government institution or government contractor, you might correct this a bit, but you can be sued if your workforce, staff, even student body doesn't meet proportional representation guidelines. So virtually every institution in the country is trying to bring in a student body. We see this even in the historically black colleges, which is my sector, but trying to bring in a student body that is, you don't want to say diverse enough that you don't get sued, but it pretty much looks like America. And I mean, right now that would be what, 13% black, 17% Hispanic. And the simple reality is that for a lot of reasons, including past racism and quote unquote hood culture, those groups trail whites on the SAT by 100 to 150 points. And then you have to bring in the other elephant in the room, which is that Asians, Jewish Americans, several other groups smoke whites and blacks by more than 200 points. So to actually get this representation, this UN-looking campus, what you're doing is taking a guy from Group A, let's say Latinos, uh, who might have an SAT or a board score of 400 points below a guy from Group B, let's say Asians or Jewish Americans. So – That actually is the cause. It's not racism or something magical in the air of a lot of these scoring and grading disparities that we see on the campus. So it it is, yes, it's unfortunate. I was in this position to some extent, but if you're a black student that got the marks, got the grades, played the sports and got in, yeah, people might look uh, negatively at you. I think a bigger issue is simply colleges admitting a bunch of people that didn't earn their way into college. Now I'll stand up and say it's not just the minority kids here. If you look at the percentage of people that are wealthy white legacies, that are athletes in sports like lacrosse, not necessarily men's football, that are you know in-state admits, what you just mentioned, rich people who bought the school, the quadrangle. I mean, that's probably, plus affirmative action is probably the biggest group. I mean, that's probably 70% of the students on most Ivy League campuses. So a lot of people would say, get rid of all of that and let people you know run for the brass ring and let the best people get into school. And I, I agree with that. Yeah, I, it's, it's just fascinating. These are the conversations I want to have as opposed to uh, wrecking my city because something that happened 225 years ago or because I'm white thinking that I have bias and racists, that gets people on the defensive. Then they say, I was going to engage in that conversation, but I can't win. I'm done. But we need to – this is the conversation I thought we were going to have a year ago with the George Floyd stuff. But we never got there. It was apologize. Um, I, want you, I want to share with you what Kamala Harris said this morning about what happened in Atlanta, Cut 42. I think we have to be clear that we have a history in America that we need to deal with, a history that included the Chinese Exclusion Act Mm -hmm. uh, as a law, um, uh, that we interned Japanese Americans who also fought for the liberties of Americans um, in, in war. And, and, and we have this rise in hate crimes. When I was Attorney General of California, I publish a hate crime report every year. It's not new, but it has grown, and it must be confronted and dealt with. 
which he said was fact. But is that showing itself now? Uh, no, I mean, so there's first of all, I will say the attorney general of every major state releases a hate crime report every year, every couple of years. I, I hate it when politicians and even business people do that, where you list, you know, hickory smoked bacon. You list perfectly ordinary things as some kind of significant accomplishment. But getting to the actual point, um, obviously, some racism exists, just as affirmative action exists to limit whites. But no serious black intellectual denies racism exists. But saying a common form of false argument is saying racism exists. So X problem in the black community, like fatherlessness, has to be due to racism. And the immediate response is when you look at those strong black men clashing with their Caucasian countrymen in the 1940s, they all took care of their kids. The illegitimacy rate was 8%. So the, the connection doesn't fit there. I mean, cancer also exists. But if you see a body with a bullet hole in the head, you don't necessarily assume not to be crude. They died from cancer. So in this case, sure, we've had anti-Asian racism in the past. But if you look at this – but Asians are the most successful group in the country first. And if you look at this wave of recent crimes, I mean there's 65, 70 percent African-American. This shooter in Atlanta, I mean obviously was a Caucasian guy. But there's fairly little evidence that he was motivated by hatred of Asians. I mean he seems to have had some deep-seated sexual problems, frankly. I mean he described himself as a sex addict. He'd gone to therapy. He was a Christian, and he was dealing with these – sort of what he viewed as flawed urges, and he was going to these massage parlors pretty often. In Atlanta, they provide sex licitly or illicitly. Everyone knows that. So, I mean, you've got a complex case here where the guy needs to go to jail or be executed. What happened to these women is terrible, but race doesn't seem to be a primary motive. You yeah, have but, to unpack and, each story and talk about it as adults. Thank also, you. Also, final comment. And for Prescott, two, problems, but yet they wanted to immediately say, look, okay. shot Asian massage parlors targeting Asians, so therefore, America, you suck. Right. I mean, why jump to that conclusion when, by the way, the police officer was trying to say that was not their conclusion. What you just said is what the what the investigation revealed. Final thought. Um, I think that they say that all the time, because when you only have a hammer, all problems look like nails. There are a bunch of people dedicated to sort of professional criticism of the country. We should listen to everything they say with that in mind. Uh, wow, I, I learned a lot. Your commentary is fantastic. It's not absolute. It takes a conversation. Professor Wilfred Riley, thanks so much. Thank you. Have a good day. Uh, and the title is uh, The Good News, They Won't Tell You About Race in America. It's in Commentary Magazine. Brian Kilmeade. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we're back. I want to get to some calls. I only have a few minutes, so I want to get to Harold. Listen on WPTF. In beautiful Raleigh, North Carolina. Harold, you just heard that last interview. What do you think? I'm a black man. I was born in 1955, and I was raised by my grandmother and my mother. My grandmother, at the age of six, picked cotton, said 16 hours a day, seven, six days a week in Timminsville, South Carolina. Not once did she, she died when she was 94. Not once did that woman ever complain about America. Not one peep out of her about racism or America. And she saw it all. Fast you, forward today. Go ahead. Fast forward today, and you got black people complaining about America is racist. Really? 
Well, uh, everybody is. In the world. This is the greatest country in the world. You can do whatever you want in this country if you put your mind to it. And uh, Professor Wilford Riley at Kentucky State wrote about that. Just take everybody, take some time. Read his commentary comments. He has facts. He doesn't have feelings. He has facts. They, yeah, there's bias and racism, everything. You know, the, the person down the block is a soccer player. You're a soccer player. You see eye to eye with them. But we don't walk around as a racist country. We have done more to drop down barriers. And by continuing to see yourself as a victim, we're all going to lose. Harold, thanks so much. Appreciate it. I appreciate the perspective. Uh, keep it here. Go to BrianKillMeShow.com. You can listen to the show anytime, anywhere. You can get the podcast on BrianKillMe.com. Get any of my books, including Sam Houston, The Alamo Avengers. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Heard uh, coming to you from New York, heard around the country. In fact, heard around the world, especially if you look at the email I get. A lot of them are from outside the country, and we thank you for that. At the bottom of the hour, Senator Marsha Blackburn will tell us about what's likely to happen when H.R. 1, this new revolutionary voting plan that came out of the House, which will federalize elections, comes to the Senate floor. And Jonathan Turley is standing by, almost ready to join us. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The investment has to be made. It is a moral imperative. It is a political imperative. This kind of investment is of the magnitude, the scope and scale that needs to be done. Talk about $3 trillion investment, another infrastructure package that has everything in it. Some say it's going to be $5 trillion. He wants it, and he's going for it. Joe Biden meets with historians in the East Room and began to massively transform America in his own left-wing image. LBJ, Great Society, FDR, New Deal. Biden feels like he has two years to do it. And according to Axios, it would mean blowing up the filibuster, and he is okay with that. It would be a horror show. I'll explain, but never support. Number two. We know that the suspect is in custody. He was injured. They have not released any details about who he was, but we did see footage of uh, a white general, a white man. In other words, CNN told you, we don't really know anything about what just happened. We do think a, quote, white man did it. Right, by the images, which wasn't true. A disgusting formula. A crazed gunman kills innocents. And the Democrats blame the guns. And the new one, white people. The problem, the gunman's Syrian. And nothing proposed in the Dems' gun reform would have stopped it. We'll lay it out. Number one. Border Patrol is trying their fastest mm. and, and, and swiftest to process migrants as they enter unlawfully and get the proper documentation. When that happens, they're pulled away from the border, pulled away from patrol. It's just it's just overwhelming us. Uh, there you go. Mayor Bruno Lozano, a Democrat, talking this about what's happening at their border city. Not a crisis at the border, said the Washington Post. Does anyone agree with that? It's Trump's fault for the overwhelming surge. Please don't tell me you buy that. Now the latest, most illegals are turned around at the border. 83% get through, according to Axios. Why I believe the lying and the denials of this catastrophe cannot stand. And joining us now is Jonathan Turley. Uh, Jonathan Turley's got a great introduction. It sounds like this. Law professor, George Washington University, Fox News contributor. Welcome back, Jonathan. Thank you very much. 
Uh, now we saw what happened when you look at the president, uh, the previous president's policies and blow them up. The remain in Mexico, uh, the the forty, the measure uh, Proposition Forty Two. Uh, that said, if you're a minor, you have to leave right away. We're in a pandemic. Uh, the Remain in Mexico policy at 70,000 um, uh, would be immigrants, illegal immigrants as they enter our country, staying there. President Biden ended all that. And now they're flying around to Guatemala and Mexico meeting with officials to find out how to stop it. Does that make any sense yeah, to you? Which, yeah, what's really odd to me is how ham-handed this has been. You know, there was a lot of ways they could have addressed this. You know, they could have said, well, yeah, people are coming because we're viewed as more pro-immigration and we're trying to catch up. You know, they could just admit that, say, yeah, it's a crisis and we're going to deal with the crisis. Instead, they're struggling to call it not a crisis. You have actual immigrants saying, yeah, we became came here because of Joe Biden or at least a major reason for it. And even the Mexican president saying that he believes that the increase was due to the appeal of the Biden administration. But what's really striking is that this is how they sort of blew this narrative from the very beginning. I mean, they're just not very good at this so far. Right. I don't th- for some reason they told him it was going to be a crisis, but they won't even uh, they won't even entertain that. I feel bad for Jen Psaki. She's the only one speaking. So listen to this. And I, and I don't know if you've seen this this morning in Politico, but President Biden under fire for border wall cash freeze. It turns out the GAO is launching a review to determine whether the new president broke the law by freezing the money in violation of the budget rules designed to keep Congress in control of the cash flow. That, according to a watchdog agency, because money was put aside to build the wall. They paid for it already. So now we're going to either pay to destroy it or store it. What kind of merit does this case have? Well, it could have. I haven't really delved that much into it because we don't know exactly what the Biden administration did. But there was an approval for uh, wall construction. And obviously, the earlier administration had redirected other funds to the wall. Now, it's probably true that the new administration can't stop some of that money, the discretionary funds from being actually used. But some of that is hard money. Some of that's wired into legislation. And if he does that, then he's doing what the Democrats accused Trump of doing, right? He would be essentially circumventing the will of Congress. So uh, we have 23 or 26 attorney generals in this country combining forces to do what the Republicans did uh, to Barack Obama, and that sue him in places they thought he was acting unconstitutionally, as they did uh, hundreds of times against President Trump. And you saw over 100 times by the California attorney general suing because in like his policies won the XL pipeline. They're suing to put that back in place. Uh, they're suing to continue drilling on federal land. Here's what Missouri attorney general Eric Schmidt told me on Monday night about the, what they intend on doing. Cut 51. This is never what the founders intended. The founders wanted three branches of government, the separation of powers, the system of federalism. Uh, This idea that these faceless bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. have their hands in everything or that by executive order uh, you can have the force and effect of law all the time is is, uh, antithetical to our system of government, and that's why we're standing up. I mean, there's elements of, they believe, the $1.9 trillion they think are just flat out unconstitutional. And they also think H.R. 1, if they're, to, if they're to blow up the filibuster and that passes, they believe it's unconstitutional on its face because you can't federalize elections. Well, that's a very interesting case to bring because there is a credible argument that this is 
intruding upon state authority. And also on the $1.9 trillion bill, it contains that really unique provision uh, saying that states cannot uh, increase their taxes uh, for a number of years. The Supreme Court has recognized a doctrine called commandeering, where the court has said that you can't use conditional federal funding to essentially commandeer a state and make the state do what you want it to do. There's going to be a really massive challenge to that provision on state taxation. And I think that we've got a number of strong appeals on this and other issues that are coming forward. And by the way, some of those decisions could come down right before the 2022 election or most certainly before the 2024 election. So the Biden administration could be looking at some serious blowback in the court. So if you look at, remember, the Remain in Mexico policy, they were suing to reverse that. Remember uh, the whole Muslim ban, which is uh, not uh, accurately named. Uh, the, the Trump administration ultimately won that, but they lost a bunch along the way as they made its way up the court. And remember, they tried to get rid of the sanctuary cities, and these cities were able to retain that through the courts. So this, this constant battle is there, and it's the hope of uh, Republicans and I'm sure Democrats that they have a pushback on the downside of executive orders. Right, Jonathan? Well, I think that they could face the inverse of what happened with Trump. They could see uh, losses in those lower courts. And I actually think they could see on a couple of these issues losses in the Supreme Court. Uh, and how that's going to affect their whole political narrative is going to be interesting. There's this interplay between law and politics. And it's hard to portray the previous administration as unhinged and unconstitutional if courts are coming down and hitting you with violations. The greatest irony is that early on in the Biden administration, a court ruled against it by trying to change the Trump immigration policy uh, unilaterally. And ironically, the court used the very argument used against Trump and said, you didn't go through the process required. Well, when this was in the court, I said uh, in interviews, you know, Democrats have got to be really careful here because this could be used against them if the next president is a Democrat. Well, it was. And the court ruled against Biden. So you wrote today about what's going to happen tomorrow. And that is there's going to be a big, uh, you know, the, the heads of social media empires are going to be coming to Capitol Hill. And I think both sides, to a degree, for maybe different reasons, are looking to rein in these behemoth companies. And I think Rokahana told me yesterday, he represents Silicon Valley, because we made a huge mistake in back uh, back really in the 90s and let things like Instagram get eaten up by Facebook and, and let these uh, – uh, every time a competitor rose up, they're allowed to get bought by the bigger companies – because no one really foresaw perhaps where social media was going. And maybe these lawmakers are the worst people at all because they're not tapped in to, uh, to the leading edge of these tech companies. But you write today how uh, Bernie Sanders actually comes out to defend Trump. And he always appreciates his principles. Maybe you don't agree with them. He's a socialist. But he said, quote, if you're asking me, do I feel particularly comfortable that then president of the United States could not express his views on Twitter? I don't feel comfortable about that. You don't know who they're going to ban next. It didn't bother people like Maisie Arono, who wanted to make sure he never was let back. And Chris Coons pressed Dorsey to expand on categories of censoring material to prevent people from sharing any views that he considers climate denialism. So anybody who disagrees with him, he wants to make sure that doesn't get on. So these people are all over the place. But the, the guy who actually sees it clearest is Bernie Sanders. 
Do you believe there's legislation that could help this? Well, there is. The problem is that you have this chorus of new censors in the Senate. The the leading voice is probably Senator Blumenthal. Uh, He has been an unrelenting voice for censorship. He likes to call it robust content modification. That's nuts. Because he knows – because most people don't want to hear censorship. Uh, But it is censorship. It's obviously being done at the behest of these leaders through these private companies. And what's interesting is the public doesn't like this. The courts don't like it, but it's it's unclear what could be legally done. A lot of the judges have come out and spoken against this. Uh, But there's this disconnect. You have the leadership of the Democratic Party, which has converted that party into the party of censorship, to be an anti-free speech party. And I'm I'm really – I find that breathtaking. I come from a deeply democratic, liberal family in Chicago. I don't know when – The party became an anti-free speech party. It used to be that was one of the core defining principles of the party. But now you've got people like Blumenthal who in every hearing beat these big tech CEOs demanding more censorship. Here's AOC, one of the the future leaders or current leader of the Democratic Party, backing up what you're fearing, Jonathan, cut 48. So you won't take down lies or you will take down lies? I think it's just a pretty simple yes or no. Congresswoman, uh, in I'm not talking about spin. I'm talking about actual in, yes, disinformation. Yes, in a democracy, okay. I believe that people should be able to see for themselves what politicians that they may or may not vote for. So are you saying won't take judge them their down. Character for themselves. So you won't. Take, you may flag that it's wrong, but you won't take it down. Uh, Congresswoman, it's uh, it, it depends on the context that it shows up. Organic post ads. Okay. The, the treatment is. So take down lies, which he considers lies. Is is saying climate change is real or not real? Is that a lie? Yeah, well, racism exists. Is that, that a lie? I don't know. I mean, this is tough for everybody. Yeah, the list of well, the list of what is called disinformation continues to expand. It's it started with uh, threats and violence, and then it, and racism. Then it went to electoral fraud. Then climate denial. Then gender issues. And this is what happened in Europe, that the minute you started to criminalize or regulate speech, every group demanded that politicians add their issue, their view to that list of protected ideas. It's tough. Now, even if there's regulation, so you come down and you regulate and you could say, I'm going to sue Facebook. They had something on there that defamed me. Okay, there's no protection. So then Facebook can get really protective. They could start banning things like crazy to protect themselves against lawsuits. And that could be well, an o- overreaction. Well, you know, to me, the solution is clear. You go back. I call myself an, an Internet originalist because I originally these companies that I'm talking about, the social media company said, we're just another version of the telephone company. We're creating platforms for people Bulletin to board, speak yeah. to each other. Yeah, and that's and that's fine. You can go back and give them protection of immunity. But now they want to actually regulate speech, but they still want that immunity. So they want to have the protection of a telephone company, but they want to act more like a Starbucks. So if you want to be Starbucks, be Starbucks. If you want to be Verizon, be Verizon. But you can't get the immunity exactly. and still enjoy the censorship. So you have to be in asking these questions. There's so many uh, lawyers that are lawmakers 
but they don't seem to be getting that point across. I find this very frustrating, and I find the CEOs filibuster a lot just to get through it and almost tolerate people that don't fully understand what they do. Uh, Jonathan, uh, I would I would try to get you in there, but I don't have that type of power. For now, I could just enjoy the power of booking you, which is always great for our audience. Thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. You got it. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I'll come back with your calls. Then Senator Mount Marsha Blackburn, big show. Don't move. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Will you and the president be going down to the border anytime soon? At some point, absolutely, we will go down to the border, and I've been down to the border. Um, and, and, and our secretary of the Homeland Security, Alex Mayorkas, has been down there twice. Senior administration yes. officials have been down there. And yes, we will go. But the reality also is that, in addition to the border, um, we also need to deal with the root causes. Yes. We need to deal with what's happening in the Northern Triangle we, and, ad- and address it in a way that is about not only diplomacy, but bringing our allies together, dealing with, um, with what we need to do around aid in a way that is about developing those countries so that we also deal with the cause of why people are coming into our country. Why did it take three, seven, eight weeks to send anyone down there? There's a delegation going down to Mexico and Guatemala, I think today and tomorrow. It took why, how much more do you need to know? And you don't think we knew that? We're already writing $4 billion checks. You know what got Mexico's attention? When the President Trump went down there and said, we're going to stop putting tariffs on you guys, and they're going to escalate until you get a hold of the border and you hold your southern border accountable. Instead of Abrador saying, yeah, I hate this Donald Trump. I you know, can't wait. I hope he loses the election. Let's, let's do business. And let's, I need to remain in Mexico policy. Can you do that? And then our relations got fantastic with Mexico. But they blew all that up. And now they've got to reconfigure it as if it's their idea to come up with a way to deal with those countries. As Tom Homan told me uh, on television, it's mentioned on this show too, Joe Biden knows how to fix this. And what the attorney general should have said is, I used to be attorney general of a border state, and this is how I fixed it. But she didn't because she never fixed it. Her idea was to let everybody in. So the other thing I want to talk to you about is Axios puts out this story today that Joe Biden wants to to revamp the entire country in two years because he thinks he's going to lose the House and Senate. That he sat down with a bunch of historians in the East Room, and he loves the idea of people saying how much more he's doing, how much bigger he's going than Barack Obama. Unbelievable, right? A little bit of a rivalry there. Number two is he's saying that he wants to be FDR, do as transformational things as FDR did and as LBJ did with the Great Society. Is this unbelievable? And he's going to do it by being open to blowing up the filibuster. He's going to do it by passing a four to five trillion dollar aid package. He's going to do it by greening the economy in his vision, his agenda, redistributing wealth, raising taxes. The problem is Republicans who are being ignored are not going to sit idly by. He's falling downstairs one minute. The ambassador to Russia is being called the next minute. You got a border catastrophe the other minute. And you got rockets coming from North Korea. A little bit of a distraction. 
Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. They'll tell us they haven't had a COVID test because they don't do do that at the uh, uh, facility. But other than that, they're giving us nothing, absolutely nothing. And we have asked repeatedly for documentation on who these people are, where they're from, if they do have a criminal history. They'll sometimes tell us, well, they don't check for in the United States. And that really is not what I'm concerned about. I'm more concerned about their country of origin. That is Mayor Chris Riggs. Uh, He is on the Gila Bend, Arizona area, right on the border. And he's saying what he's seeing with these illegals pouring in. It's a crisis. He was on this morning on Fox and Friends to talk about it. With us, somebody who just came back from there, Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, member of the Senate Judiciary and Armed Forces Committee. Uh, Senator, I know you're going to be talking about HR1 later and tomorrow, Big Tech. But for now, what did you see at the border? It's, you know, we, it's not new to have a catastrophe at the border. And we saw it in 2012 when you were a congresswoman. And now we see it. We saw it in little in 2019. How would you, how would you rank this? This is something that I have just never seen. And, Brian, as you know, I've been going to the border for quite a period of time now. And what we have is a situation that is there because of Joe Biden's border policies, his open border policies, his immigration policy. That is what has caused this crisis at the border. And when I was in Arizona with Sheriff Mark Lamb there in Pinal County and over in Cochise County with Sheriff Daniels, what we saw was a border that is not being policed. We know that migrants are coming in. The cartels are running the border on the Mexico side. You have to go through the cartel if you're going to come across that border. And we went out and walked the path that uh, some of the migrants walk from the Indian Reservation over uh, to I-8 and I-10. And the cartels are now issuing clothing specific to that cartel. Uh, Example in Arizona, the Sinaloa cartel, which is El Chapo's cartel, they're pushing most of the drugs. Half the drugs you find on our city streets are coming through Arizona and through that cartel. If you're a person that they are trafficking, they put you in cartel-issued clothes and backpacks. They give you a wristband. If you've paid your fee, the wristband is one color. If you've got to go into servitude and work out your fee once you hit the U.S., and that means gangs, labor gangs, human trafficking, sex trafficking, then your band is going to be a different color. And this is just a humanitarian crisis to me. As a mom and a grandmom, this is absolutely heartbreaking. Most of the people that are coming over are young men. You do have some families that are coming. You also have a situation where people are recycling children. They call it child recycling. And they bring these children over with an adult to try to get the adult through. 
and then the child is sent back uh, to the cartel or to the parents. It is just a devastating, devastating situation. Yeah, I mean, here's more from Mayor Chris Riggs in Arizona, Cut 5. I'm getting nothing. The only people that seem to be willing to help are a few of our state uh, uh, representatives. I've had assistance from Senator Sinema. I've had assistance from uh, Congressman Biggs. And I've had assistance from Arizona Representative uh, Joel John. Other than that, those are the only people that have reached out to my community. Nobody from the Biden administration. He went on to say that crime is ticking up with these illegals here, so they're not signing them in. They're not able to detain them because our facilities are overrun. Have you been able to get into any facilities? No, and here's the thing. The jails in these counties are overrun, and ICE will not come pick these people up. And They're told uh, not these, to. It is unbelievable. And so then you have your prisons are overrun and people that are criminal, illegal aliens that should be deported. ISIS not coming to get them. So, Brian, you have this situation. This is one of the reasons the Biden administration has gone back to doing catch and release. And President Trump had ended that, and the Biden administration would be well served to implement the Trump protocols that they eliminated by executive order. The remain in Mexico policy, the asylum protection policies, the ending the catch and release, and going back to building the wall. That would help. Uh, by the way, did you see what's going on now? Uh, the GAO is looking into the constitutionality of Joe Biden not spending the money put aside uh, and earmarked to build the wall. They're examining yeah. whether he he broke the law and maybe they could start this again. Do you know the, anything about this? Yes, that uh, came from a letter that about 20 of us sent the GAO and asked them to look at this as a violation of the Impoundment Act because Congress had appropriated that money. Brian, and I know you've seen the pictures from Hillary Vaughn, one of your reporters who was with me as I was out doing this work on Sunday. All of the wall components are there. The equipment is there. Overnight, all of this stopped. So you have these gaping holes in the wall. You have roads that have been put in for the workers so they can build the wall. And who is using those roads now? The cartels and the coyotes are using those roads. Yeah, it's it's a, a farce. Now they put up a delegation the White House did to go to Mexico and Guatemala uh, to try to get them to stop letting their people come through. What took so long? Well, and this is something I have worked with the State Department on. I've felt that we needed to have a designee or an envoy who was going to work with those Northern Triangle countries to address this. And... They need our help. These countries don't want their talented people to leave. They also don't want to end up like Venezuela. They don't want the the communists over there. They don't want the cartels running their countries. And so they need some help in addressing this. So I have worked with the State Department, and I was very pleased with their decision to move forward with a special envoy.
Wow, interesting. The other big story was the horrific shooting that took place in uh, Boulder, Colorado. Ten dead. This uh, Syrian-born killer, uh, the 21-year-old suspect, uh, who seemingly got him red-handed. I don't know why we're still calling him a suspect. But it didn't take long for everyone to look at this and say this is an opportunity to bring up, even though we don't even know any facts about the case, gun control. The President of the United States urging you, Senator Blackburn, to act. Cut 13. I don't need to wait another minute let alone an hour, to take common-sense steps that will save the lives in the future and to urge my colleagues in the House and Senate to act. We can ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines in this country once again. I got that done when I was a senator. It passed. It was law for the longest time. And it brought down these mass killings. We should do it again. So should we do it again? President Biden um, would there is a push in his administration to take away many of our rights and freedoms, religious liberties, freedom of speech, Second Amendment rights. And I find it so unfortunate. We have loss of life. We have an officer who has lost his life in the line of duty. We have families that are grieving. Uh, We need to allow these investigations to take place, and then we need to take appropriate steps as they complete these investigations. So a couple of things. If it, uh, One thing they're pushing for is more universal background checks. It turns out this guy got a background check. He bought the gun six days ago. Maybe after everyone's got to be mandatory to put the background check information in, that would have stopped one of the Texas shootings. And number two, they're talking about uh, when it comes to uh, gun purchases. If friend to friend, you should have a background check before I sell you a gun, even family to family. How do you feel about that? Well, I I feel like that just as you're saying, there are checks that you can do. And if you don't have the right information, it is not going to uh, be visible to the ones that are doing doing the checks. If I want to uh, take one of my firearms and then gift that to a family member or sell that to a family member, I think it's inappropriate to say, let's do a background check. Um, You know, Brian, there are some, there's legislation we had supported in the in the House with the NICS system that would make uh, transparent to the law enforcement officer doing the check that would indicate if there had been uh, issues when the person was a juvenile or if there were serious mental illness issues. And uh, that is something that Mm -hmm. is worth a discussion. But we should not be going after an individual's Second Amendment rights. So today, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris and Bill Clinton will hold a talk, a public talk about the pandemic's impact on women. It's going to be for the Clinton Global Initiative University meeting. Uh, they'll discuss the pandemic's effect on females. The meeting is uh, being held at Howard University. Are you? Uh, what about that decision? Does that make sense to you? 
Well, I uh, am sure that they want to focus on women. This is Women's History Month. One of the things we know is that women have been hard hit in the job market because of the lockdowns, especially the lockdowns of schools. I know of so many women who had to change their jobs or alter their work because their children were not in school because the teachers' unions were refusing to go back to in-person instruction in the schools until their demands were met. Axios has this huge story today, Senator Blackburn, that uh, President Biden, one, is determined to transform America within the two years. He's not convinced he's going to hold on to the House and or Senate. And he sat down with historians and they talked about what he planned on doing. Now it looks like this infrastructure package, if you can call it that, might be five trillion dollars. He is going to not stand in the way of getting rid of the filibuster and start pushing his green agenda. He loves the narrative of him being a bigger thinker than Barack Obama. And they believe, Michael Beschloss says, the parallels between the New Deal economic relief that FDR brought in 1933 and saved the country from depression and chaos. Biden's on track to leave the country in a different place as Lyndon Johnson did with his Great Society program. People close to Biden tell us he's feeling bullish on what he can accomplish. Why? Because we know the economy is going to take off as soon as we can open up fully, and he's going to use some of that money to save more success from here. Do you hear the same thing? Unfortunately, we do hear the same thing, Brian. And what they are wanting to do, I think they've all come to the realization they will lose the House and the Senate in 2022. They know that. And so what they're trying to do is structurally, fundamentally change this country, take away some of our rights and privileges, put the federal government in charge, look at what they're trying to do with voting regulations, federalizing, taking away from your state and your local community the right to handle elections and federalizing those elections. Look at what they're trying to do with the Equality Act, taking away the opportunity for women, young women to compete against women, taking away those rights. Look at what they're trying to do with taxes, increasing the tax rate so that they can put more money into their pet projects, the Green New Deal. Uh, This bill was $3 trillion. And, Brian, here's one thing to bear in mind. It's going to get up to five. (laughs) Well, and the last time we talked about an infrastructure bill in a bipartisan way, it was $325 billion over five years. That was last year's number. And now it was at $3 trillion. And then they said it may go as high as four, and now they're at five. I mean, you have gotten Pelosi and Schumer with credit cards. They are not turning loose of those cards. They are going to run the numbers off of those things. And all of this is going to be debt on the head of our children and grandchildren. They're going to have to try to figure out how to pay this. Absolutely. Senator Marsha Blackburn, good luck today as you try to put fend off H.R. 1. And then, of course, tomorrow, the, the fight with big tech. Senator, thanks so much. Thank you. Bye-bye now. And we also want to up close and personal at the border, one 408 When we come back, I'll take your calls. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. 
It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. A lot of people like to undervalue what the Second Amendment was actually written for, and it was designed to be a check against the government. A lot of people don't like to talk about that aspect. Of course, it was also there to allow us to defend ourselves. But if you think about it, the AR-15, symbolically and literally, is the best defense against a tyrannical government. And then not only that, it serves as an excellent precursor for them to then inevitably get to the point where they really want to get to, which is essentially the handguns. See, they can sell the whole idea of the AR-15 needing to be banned because it's evil and it's only meant for killing, as they like to say, which is not true. Uh, That was a a true Second Amendment warrior, uh, and his name is is kind of a Cohen Noir. He was on Cohen Noir was on Tucker last night, and he just said, "Listen, yeah, Venezuela. If you if they the first thing they did is take away the guns from the people. I'm not saying that we have to take guns up against the government. I'm not saying that, but to uh, I think Senator Kennedy had the best analogy last night. There was a drunk driver that kills a whole drunk driving kills a whole lot of people. So you're taking cars away from sober people, and you don't even know the details of this. No one ever examines what went wrong in the shooting." And what, uh, where the gun came from, what motivated the killer, uh, uh, the type of weapon used. They just immediately say, let's go back to the gun controls, which wouldn't even have affected the shooting. Uh, Carolyn, listen on WDBO. Hey, Carolyn. Hey, Brian. Just real quick, what exactly is the Republicans' plan for trying to fix this whole border thing? Well, they had it fixed. What are they supposed to do, insist on the Remain in Mexico policy to go back? Are they going to insist on cutting a deal with other countries? It's really not up to them. It's a federal government thing that's coming from the executive branch who stopped the wall told ICE to stand down, essentially, and won't replenish the Border Patrol. What can Republicans do about that right now? Not much. Mm. Okay, another quick question. If the Republicans get in in 2022, can we reverse a lot of this this Biden debacle? Uh, not unless there's going to be some compromise. I mean, what you could do is put a stop at a lot of it. And, and almost, you know, the House, the House looks like it's going to go GOP. They have the state houses. They're going to be uh, handling the districting. And you would think that what's going on that now is so unpopular with Nancy Pelosi, it's going to happen. But if that does indeed happen, they handle the purse strings. And if they could get the Senate back, it would totally nullify the effects of, of Joe Biden. Between the attorney generals and Congress, uh, he would be— uh, the lamest of lame ducks, knowing, too, that there's no way at 82 I could see him running again. So uh, thanks, Carolyn. I, I do think Republicans are getting a lot of motivation to get out there in the polls, get the best candidates possible to generate uh, some revenue and set themselves up for success in 2022. Uh, just Democrats are doing the best sales job for Republicans they possibly could. Don't forget to watch me tonight at 7 o'clock on primetime. Keep it here. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice.
Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York, but heard around the country, heard around the world. Carl Robe's going to be coming and joining us today, as well as Susan Lee, the esteemed Fox Business correspondent, following everything that has to do with uh, the markets. Way up right now because it looks like this infrastructure proposal is going to be not just $3 trillion, not just $4 trillion. According to Axios, it could be as high as $5 trillion. $5 trillion. So if the economy thinks you're going to spend in the short term, they're going to react. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The investment has to be made. It is a moral imperative. It is a political imperative. This kind of investment is of the magnitude, the scope and scale it needs to be done. Wow. Uh, Richard Blumenthal. He wants it, and he's going for it. President Joe Biden meets with historians and has begun to massively transform America in his own left-wing image. He brings up images like LBJ and FDR. It's New Deal. Biden feeling like he only has two years to get it done, and it will be a horror show. I'll explain, but I will not support. Number two. We know that the suspect is in custody. He was injured. They have not released any details about who he was, but we did see footage of uh, a white general, uh, white man. In other words, CNN told you, we don't really know anything about what just happened. We do think a, quote, white man did it. Amazing. That was Tucker Carlson, of course. Some disgusting formula, and it's the same one. Crazed gunman kills innocents and Dems blame guns. And the new one, white people. The problem? The gunman's from Syria, born there. And nothing proposed in the Democratic gun reforms that were instantly put out would have stopped it, it seems. But we don't know the details. We'll lay out what we know. Number one. Border Patrol is trying their fastest mm. and, and, and swiftest to process migrants as they enter unlawfully and get the proper documentation. When that happens, they're pulled away from the border, pulled away from patrol. It's just it's just overwhelming us. Not a crisis at the border, says the Washington Post. Does anyone agree with that? It's Trump fault for the overwhelming surge. Please don't tell me you buy that. Now the latest, most illegals are turned around at the border. 83% get through. Why I believe the lying and the denials lead to a catastrophe, and it cannot stand. With me right now is Carl Rove. Carl, I, even President Obama was saying, you know, we saw that it was a catastrophe, and then we wanted to see how it was going to be fixed. And now we saw with President Trump, he had no problem going in there. He didn't, didn't love the criticism, but it was just. And he, was, he had fixed it through the pandemic. Do they really believe they're going to continue to say no crisis, Trump's fault? Yeah, I think they do, because I think if they repeat it long enough and say it long enough that it, that uh, the American people are stupid enough to buy it. But look, the, President Trump was the second president in the modern era to end catch and release, and he did so just like the first one, George W. Bush did, by a lot of hard effort and ingenuity and by working hard with our neighbors to the south. And the signals that came out at the end of the election and after the election – that, you know, come north and, and we're going to be far more expansive and welcoming of illegal immigration and legalization, which sent the wrong message. And the coyotes and the cartels preyed upon it. And we're seeing what we're seeing, which is a disaster. And the failure to admit that it is a huge crisis, it does nothing to, to advance the administration's credibility, nor does it help throughout the region. If they said this is a crisis and we are not going to let this uh, flood um, uh, inundate our borders and flow into our country, then then it would help stop the flow. But instead, they're doing things like, you know, letting people off without assigning them a court date. Can you imagine? And thereby disappearing yeah. the American society. And that message gets back to the, to to Mexico and the Central American countries and the rest of the world. Come 
because the Americans are so overrun, they're, they're letting you loose. Here's the vice president talking on CBS about the border. Cut 40. There are 500 children a day, and we don't have enough housing already who are crossing into the border. What do we do in the meantime to stop it? Well, we do what we need to do to actually reconstruct the systems, Anthony, that are about processing these cases. And that is taking some time. Look, we've been in office less than 100 days. Um, We're addressing it. We're dealing with it. But it's going to take some time. And are we frustrated? Are you frustrated? Yes, we are. Really? It's going to take some time? Because you're letting everybody in and kids get to stay. They broke the systems. They said, you know what? We're no longer going to hold people. We're going to let them loose. We're not going to take extraordinary measures to stop people at the border and return them across the border. We're going to be more welcoming of refugee claims, all of which chews up time and personnel and and resources and makes it impossible to stop the flow. Who is she kidding? They've had 100 days. That's right. But in 100 days, they broke the system. They didn't make the system. They aren't repairing the system. They broke the system. Within 100 days. And here's how they're paying the price. They want to do uh, immigration reform, and they're doing it piecemeal, which is a huge mistake. But they're, they're doing it piecemeal, and they said, well, we want to find a way for 11 million living here illegally to have a pathway to citizenship. We know it's more like between 20 and 30 now. And they had some numbers on their side in January. But now it seems as though only 43% of voters overall believe that undocumented immigrants who are currently living in the U.S. should have a pathway to citizenship. That's down 14 points in the last two months. Democrats support the pathway, dropped from 72 to 57 percent, and the GOP uh, dropped an additional 10 percent down. So they're losing, the, they're losing the issue. Yeah, and you know why? I think there's an important thing to be said here. And look, I'm a fan of passing things in an you know, in a, in a incremental fashion. Uh, we ought to deal with the issue of the dreamers. The people who were brought here as children and know no other country except the United States of America. But the problem is, is that in the Dreamers Law, they also put uh, people with what are called TPS, Temporary Protective Status, in essence, refugees. And guess what? They gave them a path to citizenship that means that those people can become citizens faster than the people who are standing legally and patiently in line to become through the regular process. And the same with dealing with the undocumented who live in our country – they, they said they could become citizens faster than people who came here legally and, and people who want to come here legally and are standing in line patiently. That's how aggressive they are in an open borders policy. I'm a strong proponent of comprehensive immigration reform. I, def, I, I support immigration, but you cannot have a system in which you say we're going to reward people who came here illegally – with, with a pathway that is quicker and easier than people who are trying to come here in the legal fashion. Uh, I'm doing incremental, too, but it's got to be small trade-offs. For example, the, if the yeah. Democrats want dreamers, and we all agree that, you know, if you're, if you're 21 years old and you're brought here when you were one, and you're obviously doing well in society and you don't have any uh, violations, but in turn for that, can we get rid of the, the lottery? Uh, in turn for that, yeah. can we finish the wall? I mean, yeah. the border security was en route. Carl, for a guy like you who are in the nitty-gritty and cro- uh, dotting the I's and crossing the T's on this, here we are with a wall finance up to 600 miles, right? So if you go ahead— 642. Yeah, so that's great. So you could say, listen, I'm in the middle of a pandemic. I want to get comprehensive immigration reform done. I'm going to finish the wall and the technology and the roads along with it. It's already been paid for, folks. Uh, you know, no malarkey. And then in turn, I need the Republicans at the table to do something on the Dreamers and fill in the blank. Then, right. then it, you don't even have to make great pains to say— 
What do you, you know, uh, I'm sorry, AOC, but this is paid for already. People would under, the general public would have understood. Yeah. Well, they're raising the stakes in this, in this drama because rather than taking the status quo, they're breaking the system. We're going to allow people who are, make refugee claims, we're going to make it easier for them to make their claims. We're going to take people who make refugee claims, we're going to let them out into society but without going through the process of setting a court date for them. Oh, we're going to send signals throughout the region that it's going to be easier for you to come into the United States. And oh, incidentally, while we're doing this, we want the Republicans in good faith to vote for any damn bill we send up. And, and, and look, I am, again, a strong proponent of dreamers, but I think you put your finger on it. There's got to be something coupled with it, and that thing has to be border security. And I don't frankly think that the wall is enough because, look, the wall is doing a good job. And the president, the previous president, President Trump, did a good job, 80 miles of new wall and reconstruction of several uh, of almost 200 miles of the old wall. That's really good. But we also need other things along the border in a permanent, ongoing fashion in the way of procedures, resources, and policies that, that will help secure our borders. And, and just simply saying fulfill the promise of the wall is, is, is today for me insufficient. So I pick up Axios today. I think it does a really good job. And they talk about how Joe Biden, the president of the United States, this is a mix of, of all your areas of expertise, government and history. He is meeting with Michael Beschloss, and I imagine John Meacham, and he's in the East Room. And he's talking about having a transformative presidency, and he believes he has the opportunity that FDR and LBJ have to do massive change in our society. And he loves the idea of doing so much more than Barack Obama. He has full party control for at least two years. Uh, he was open now to getting rid of the filibuster. He is not interested in talking to Republicans. Uh, and one of the things he's going to do is not have a $3 trillion infrastructure bill, $5 trillion. So I don't know if you had a chance to digest this. What's your take on somebody who's meeting with historians 50 days, 60 days in? Well, I'm glad that they're meeting with historians, frankly, because it will give them some perspective. And and it's going to hopefully he will walk away with this with one realization. He doesn't have the stroke that either one of those two people did to make durable changes. That is to say, you're not LBJ with a gigantic majority, Democratic majority in the House and Senate or Franklin Roosevelt with really the Republican Party wiped out in the Congress. You're dealing with a 50-50 Senate and a five-vote margin in the House. And, and things that are done in an environment like that that are too bold and too too transformational can be undone and undone by the opposition So or stymied by the opposition. So I hope he takes away that lesson. But here, let's, let's talk a second about the, about the, the so-called infrastructure bill. He says he's going to pay for it, $3 trillion. That was what the initial proposal looked like, and that's sort of the size of his tax bill, which would be the fourth biggest tax increase in the history of the United States when you measure it by the size, uh, its relationship to the size of GDP. The only four other tax bills that were bigger in that respect were the 1942 tax bill in the middle of World War II, the 1941 tax bill, which was as we were preparing to enter the global war, the 1968 LBJ tax bill when we, at the height of the Vietnam War, and the 1951 tax bill, which was as we were involved in Korea. And guess what? If he does a $5 trillion infrastructure bill and pays for it with additional taxes, he will have the second largest tax increase as measured by its relationship to GDP in the history of the United States. Only bigger would be the one passed at, 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 in 1942. Here is what Mitch McConnell said about working with Joe Biden. 
I haven't been invited to the White House uh, so far. This administration is not doing any, not interested in doing anything on a bipartisan basis in the political center. Uh, they'd be more than happy to pick off a few of our members and do what they would like to do. Uh, but there's been no effort, effort whatsoever by the president or the administration to do anything in the political center. When was the last time you had a conversation with President Biden, even on the phone? I don't believe I've spoken with him since he was sworn in. We had a couple of conversations before then. How unique is that? That's really, first of all, very unique, completely at odds with the, the rhetoric of President Biden, both in his inaugural We should throw that campaign. speech in the, in the fire, by the way. It, it was all yeah, fiction. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he didn't mean it. The speechwriters may, may, may have meant it, but he didn't mean it. And maybe the speechwriters didn't mean it either. But, you know, this administration is being run by a chief of staff who is a highly partisan individual, Ron Klain, and he's telling the Republicans, get lost. And there'll be a price to be paid for that because you can't keep – I mean, their majority is less than five, actually, because they've got a runoff in Louisiana and, a, and, a, and an open seat in, in Ohio. So they got a majority of three. And we just filled the Louisiana seat, so the Republicans are at 212. Then when they, in early May, when they fill the sixth district seat of Texas, that you know the Republicans will be at 213, and the Democrats will be at at 220, and 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 they need 218 to pass bills. So this is stupid. This is wrong for our country, but it's also politically stupid. At least make the attempt. Make it look like you're trying to work with them, and then when they then when and if they don't, you can blame them. But nobody is going to believe that this administration, uh, if they ever make the claim, oh well, we tried, but nobody will. The Republicans that work with us, no, no, no. These people went out and said we don't need to work with the elected Republicans because we've had a poll question that we probably had something to do with writing that tells us that Republicans like the idea of ice cream and cake for dessert, so that's what we're doing. And, you know, it just it, to me, it's so duplicitous and so hypocritical and so, frankly, unexpected after those soaring words of Joe Biden's inaugural, where he said, this is in my very soul, my very fiber to unify our country. He's doing nothing but returning to the days of the Biden Obama, the Obama Biden administration in early 2009, when they were telling the Republicans, drop dead, get lost. Absolutely. At least there was transparent. You know exactly where you stood. Carl, how do you feel about President, uh, former President Trump continuing to speak out, kind of breaking tradition? Well, you know, it's sort of odd because no president, maybe the closest was Herbert Hoover, but even he waited a few months. But, uh, you know, look, he clearly, you know, he's got a right to speak out and he feels passionately about the issues that he speaks out about. And uh, it's seen in his, his statements. And, and, and look, he worked hard to get in place a secure border and, and, and to see it wiped out with, you know, we're going to have the largest flow of refugees in 20 years. Well, it'll be bigger than 2019 when there were huge problems in Central America that were causing large groups of people to try and desperately make their way north of the United States. And we turned them back. And, they, and, and what happened is in the next year, the number of apprehensions at the border dropped by half because people stopped coming because we were tough. And, in, and, and, and now we're going to go the biggest in over 20 years this year. We're already we are already uh, this month in March. We will pass the number of, of refugees that were apprehended in the entire previous fiscal year in the biggest years, mm -hmm. uh, biggest months of the year, April and May for, for border crossings are still to come. So, Carl, you're going to join me tonight at seven. You just gave me your A game. That means tonight I need your A plus game. Are you ready for the challenge? 
I am ready for the challenge because by the time that you have me on tonight, you'll have my column for tomorrow, which is damn good, I have to say. All right. I can't wait. Uh, the exclusive. Right. Nice tease. Carl Rove, thanks. Thank you. When we come back, you, one 408 7669 A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. You would think there'd be some kind of a mutiny within the union among dedicated teachers who can, you know, they can read the literature, they can follow the the science as it is is reported. Uh, They must know, these teachers, uh, how safe it is for them to be doing their jobs. Uh, But we haven't seen that yet. Teachers unions uh, saying the the second biggest one of the country. We're not ready to go back, even though classes can go from three feet to six feet in terms of distances. They say, well, now we have to pick up some other areas, like make sure there's uh, air purifiers in there in every single classroom. And and we got to make sure that there's uh, no gym and other things that are involved in the distancing in other areas. Uh, And they're just making up excuses and almost indicating that they want a pay raise before they'll accept anything. Roy, listening in Georgia, Valdosta, Georgia, WVGA. Hey, Roy. Hey, Brian. Good morning. Hey. Want your opinion on something. I I don't know if you're old enough to remember Reagan's firing the uh, air traffic controllers. But I think that some of these big city mayors that are having problems with teachers' unions need to tell these teachers, you come back to work or I'm going to fire you. He may get some blowback from the lawyers and everything, but his constitu- the mayor's constituents will love him for it because he's taking a stand. Yeah, I don't, know, I don't know if he has that ability, but I'll tell you, the pressure on these unions to go back to school because most of the people that are being really hurt, most of these unions control the inner city. Most of them are low-income kids. A lot of them don't even have broadband or uh, Wi-Fi. And a lot of them don't have the Chromebooks because the, uh, the the financing on these school systems are not strong. And those parents are speaking up. I hope they start listening because they're still talking about going back in September. September. My goodness, you should just clean house after that. Susan Lee next. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I think a package that consists of um, investments in people, investments in infrastructure, um, will help to create good jobs in the American economy. And changes to this tax structure will help to pay for those programs. Uh, Janet Yellen, yesterday the Treasury Secretary, talking about a change in tax structure, which is going to, I believe, they're going to announce a corporate tax rate up from 21 to 28. Uh, they're also going to have all types of, of different reconstruction and different fees in order to make up for what could be a $5 trillion infrastructure package. Joining us now to make sense of it all, at least she promised to, according to our producers. She never has let us down. Please make Susan Lee feel welcome from Fox Business. Susan, welcome back. Hey, 
Brian. Long time no see. You have to tell me what kind of coffee you drink because I don't know how you do Fox and Friends in the morning and then you do Fox Prime Time at night. Whatever you're drinking, I want it. Yeah, I mean, they don't let me do Fox and Friends in the morning. Uh, so I just come in and do the radio show. Uh, and But I could do both. I don't think that would be a, would I, it be an issue. I, I think that's definitely in your wheelhouse. And I've seen you power on for 24 hours. Right. I just don't know where you get the energy from. Well, I mean, we have a lot of stuff to talk about. I mean, first off, what about these tax increases? Right now, as it looks, if yeah. the rumors are correct, it'll be the fourth biggest, according to Carl Rove, in percentages of the dollar worth. The fourth biggest in, in American history. Yeah, and the, and the biggest tax reform and increase is 1993. So you're not going to like this because they want to top the uh, tax bracket. The highest tax bracket will go up to 39.6% for the high earners like yourself, and that'll go up from 37% right now. As you mentioned, the corporate tax is likely to go up to 28%, which is currently at roughly 21 and the estate tax is going up to 45%. But, okay, let's be honest, Brian, no one really pays the estate tax because all the billionaires and the multimillionaires, they hire these fantastic accountants that, of course, find those loopholes, right? But they say that over the next decade, if this happens, if capital gains also is taxed as income, that means they could raise $2 trillion in new revenue over the next 10 years. But that's to pay for those, the extra spending, as you mentioned. We're talking about, what, $4 billion if you want to include the tax cuts and the tax credits and the incentives that the White House and the administration want to throw in. That's a lot of money, given that the U.S. debt is sitting at, what, twenty-eight. trillion trillion dollars right now i know just one and a half times the size of the u.s economy i know why, why does the treasury secretary and now uh the chairman of the fed say i'm not worried about inflation could you explain to us why they wouldn't be worried about inflation if it doesn't seem as though the dollar is showing value Right. I'm always so impressed by your economic financial knowledge, Brian. So they're, they're saying, so we have Jay Powell, who's the Federal Reserve governor, saying that inflation, which means higher prices, is only transitory right now, meaning that you'll see a spike initially, but over, say, two years or so, that won't be that won't be sustained, meaning things will come back down. And the reason they're saying this, I think they're taking it from history, because remember at, at back in 2008, during the financial crisis and TARP and $800 billion being spent back then, which was a lot of money back in 2008, 2009, and now we're talking about trillions of dollars here. But back then, we didn't see inflation really go up that much over the uh, the long haul, at least. In fact, we were concerned about deflationary pressures and falling prices. It's not good for an economy because that puts it at risk of a recession. So in their view, learning from history, they say spending doesn't really bump prices up for the long term in their view, which you know not a lot of people on Wall Street are convinced by. If you look at what's happening with Treasury yields, you know, the 10-year Treasury yield. And, and stop me if I'm being too complex and this is too sophisticated. Bring me back down to talking at the, uh, you say, the layman's level. Right. But if when the yields go up, that indicates that people are expecting prices to go higher as well. And that's what Wall Street is anticipating. And that's why tech stocks have been selling off, because it makes their future earnings look less. Gotcha. Now, in the infrastructure package, and a lot of it's come out in the Wall Street Journal uh, – already what's going to be in it. You know, you got the roads and bridges. We get that. But they're also mm-hmm. greeting the economy. They're going to be a lot of incentives for electric cars and power stations. Yep. What, what does that mean, knowing that we started this year as the number one or number two exporter of oil and oil producers? What does that right. mean? Are we just taking our eye off the ball on that? Well, I would say, look, I mean, with the pipeline cancellation, 
you know, U.S. actually, I think the U.S. is the largest uh, gas and oil exporter now, and they're going to going to account. And the, America accounts for 50 percent of oil and gas energy growth over the next uh, half a decade or so. So the fact that you're upgrading the electrical grid, I don't think it really necessarily has an impact when it comes to energy independence. I think the pipeline cancellations is probably a bigger deal. But they're looking to pour what a trillion dollars into infrastructure, so ports, rails, bridges, but then another $400 billion in these green initiatives. And that does include more electric cars. And they want to also, I guess, support the uh, 5G and the rural broadband. But that's a lot of money to be spending after $1.9 trillion that just went into the economy and then $600 billion in December and $2 trillion before that in March. I mean, we're playing with some real numbers here. So Goldman Sachs comes out and he hears about the tax increase. And I don't know if this is politics or reality. Yeah. They said, hey, listen, I'm not worried about the tax hike. It's a minor risk for stocks. But they do recommend yeah. a smaller increase from 21 to 25. Is this negotiating? Yeah, well, look, I think in the past, again, they're, they're I guess, uh, looking at history. You don't get everything you want, especially not in a 50-50 Senate, it's pretty tight. So they're anticipating instead of going up to 28% for business tax, you might be looking at 25%. And in their view, that's that's not going to hurt corporate America too much. They're expecting maybe profit to fall by 3%, which is negligible in their view. But it's not just Goldman Sachs. You know, J.P. Morgan also took a look at historical precedents. And in their view, when these taxes go up minimally, hopefully not up to the standards that the White House and Biden has proposed during the campaign trail, but if it goes up a little bit, it's not really that big of a burden for these companies. I mean, they'll find a way around it at some point. And by the way, they're already making so much money in this environment when Amazon and Apple are making $100 billion in sales, $100 billion in three months' time. I think they can afford to give back a little bit, don't you think? I agree. Uh, I would say that. I just want somebody to look at these companies. So in the 90s, we did not anticipate this type of growth, I don't think. So now, tomorrow is Big Tech Day. They're coming back down to this new Congress, at which time, for different reasons, people seem to be concerned about the size and who isn't of uh, Facebook and Amazon (laughs) and uh, and everybody else. And Twitter will be there. Twitter will be there. And the the fact that things like Facebook was allowed to take Instagram and a lot of them were allowed to eat their competitors in the past. Does Wall Street (laughs) care about this or do they just think this is a show, uh, a show hearing? I think it's a show hearing if you judge it by where stocks are trading, because if they really thought that Facebook would have to be broken up and retroactively split up with Instagram and WhatsApp, that stock would plummet and it would crash. And it hasn't. In fact, we're trading close to these record levels above almost $300 a share for Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg. So I think Wall Street says this is all show. I mean, to actually enact legislation, it, it seems like it's going to be a tough sell, again, especially in a 50-50 split Senate, right? Because you need both houses to agree on this. So, you know, if, if you look at how stocks are trading, Twitter, by the way, close to these record levels, they're saying this is just for show. Well, watch it, of course, but we don't think any of this is actually going to have any teeth. Uh, Susan Lee is standing by. She might be pulled away at any moment because she handles the breaking business news. <laughs> uh, so she couldn't, even, yeah. she couldn't even come up to the studio. I mean, that's how close you have to stay. This is unbelievable. Uh, Susan, a, a quick... Uh, heels. I wear heels. Oh, okay. That's true. That could be another yeah. reason. Uh, so mm-hmm. the other thing that, that I'm just curious about is when you look at... People look at corporations and say, well, Amazon pays more. But when you raise yeah. a corporate rate, does small business pay a price? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You're so right. So that's, that's the key. Point. 
Yes, but then they, they also probably say that they'll, they'll offset it with some tax credits and incentives as well. So, yes, you're right, because small business and medium and small-sized businesses, they power and employ 70% of the people in America. So, yeah, that would be a big deal. But I would suspect that the Biden administration, and it's not in the fine print just now, but I suspect that they'll be handing out some credits saying, well, the large corporations will definitely pay, but if you're smaller than that, we'll give you something back. Susan, I also saw during the week that you spoke out about this uh, about these uh, crimes against Asians in America uh, since the pandemic started. What would you like to share with our audience? Oh, thanks so much for giving me the opportunity to talk about this because, you know, it, it means a lot to my community and the Asian American community. The events last week were, were really tough. I mean, if it, even within Fox, we have this uh, employee Asian American community, and we're just all expressing Concerns um, and sadness and uh, concerns about our safety and just some of the xenophobic and racist rhetoric that we've encountered, unfortunately, over the past 12 months. And as I mentioned, you know, it's been a tough economy. I get that. It's been hard on everybody. It's been a horrific year for COVID. And rightly or wrongly, mostly wrongly, by the way, the finger has been pointed at China, which some people, I guess, uh, think that it's the entire Asian community. And that's simply not true. I mean, we we are all suffering and we're all here together. And Asian Americans want to be and contribute to America, to society and the economy. So true. Um, So uh, have you noticed if with you personally, for people, you know, once you leave this building and people don't know who you are, have you noticed some angst towards you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I hate to say it, and it's not nothing. It's nothing new, to be honest. I, I don't want to gripe about the past, but I, did it ever happen to you? I'm sure it did, Brian. It probably happens to everybody that when you're a kid on the playground, you got called names. But in my case, I was called racial names, which I think probably you know was a little traumatic and sure. caused some scarring. So, how do you explain this, Susan? It's so obvious that it's misplaced. I mean, did China start the pandemic? There's no question. The Wuhan. Uh, uh, it happened in the Wuhan lab. Just how it happened, we still don't know. But right. we have for 50 years, we had a Cold War with Russia, right? Cold War. Yeah. Russia was our enemy. Yeah. I don't care who the president yeah. was. Russia was our enemy. And people uh, in every state of the union address the Soviet Union, uh, stopping the red wave. It was our enemy. But yet you didn't hear uh, the Russian community targeted in America who were clearly American, like the Asian, uh, the Asian American community is American Asian, right? You're you're an American. Yeah. You're as much American as I am. So yeah. why why do you think people, or as anybody listening, why do you think people are having trouble disseminating between uh, someone from uh, the Wuhan lab and China, and yeah. maybe them being the the new Cold War foe, and an yeah. American who happens to be of Asian descent. That's a great question. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. I don't you have know, an answer. I, I hope I can't yeah, believe I don't these. Either. Yeah. I, I'm, uh, I'm I, hoping it's not because we look different and you know we have a a different culture. But I, I would hope that America appreciates diversity, inclusion, and differences because that's kind of what makes this country great, isn't it? Yes, uh, no question, uh, no question about it. That's why when this was started first coming up. I'm saying to myself, do people not understand the difference between red China and Americans? I don't I don't right. understand uh, what the problem was. I mean, if you want to protest oh, outside the Chinese question. embassy, I think that's not misplaced. Right. So. Right. Uh, so I'm glad we had a yeah. chance to talk about it. 
No, thank you so much for the opportunity, and thank you for your support. You got it, Susan, always. Uh, Susan Lee, thank you so much. Thank you. You got it. Well, when we come back, we're going to find out if it's true that you need to know more. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome welcome back, everybody. It's become clear after an informal poll that we need to know more. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Well, it's become clear. Michael Waltz set a trend, and now other lawmakers are joining on, including GOP Senator Rick Scott, calling for the Olympic sponsors to demand the 2022 Olympic Games be moved out of China. We're still trying to play the Japanese games in Tokyo. But that Rick Scott is urging these sponsors to do so. Scott Afford wrote a letter exclusively obtained by Fox News to International Olympic Committee sponsors, including Airbnb, Alibaba, not likely to boycott, Bridgestone, Coca-Cola, and others. As a sponsor, you are uniquely positioned to join the fight to get rid of this and because mainly for the Uyghurs and the way they just steamrolled what we saw, steamroll what we saw in Hong Kong. Uh, this is gaining steam, guys. This is really not going to go away. There's got to be an, a, a huge united front against China. I'm not talking about starting a war or anything, but just to let them know that they have to pay a, a, an economic price for what they unleashed uh, on the I world. I know, but just moving the Olympics once, once the U.S. gets it or a NATO nation gets it, then the Chinese sit out and the Russians sit out. Next thing you know, the Olympics are busted. That's my worry. Next. Post office going to change. They have a great idea. Let's charge more and deliver in greater distances of time. They'll make us want our mail more. I'm not kidding. The post office on Tuesday outlined a 10-year strategic plan that would slow current first-class delivery and raise prices. <laughs> they said if they don't do this and stop flying their plane, uh, their mail on planes, they're going to need a government bailout. What do you think? Worse service, more expensive. Is that the American formula? I tell you, it, it's, we do so many things. We don't need the, the post office anymore. You don't need to send as many things anymore. It's, just a, it's a tough business model to survive now. Right. But even if we don't, I'd still lick stamps. Next, Prince Harry is taking on a new job. It's this. I didn't know this was an opening for this. Chief Impact Officer at Better Up. What is Better Up? Well, and why does Prince Harry need a job? Great questions. Uh, evidently, BetterUp is a fast-growing coaching and mental health firm. Uh, the role is uh, the latest foray into business for the Duke, who with his wife, Megan, relinquished their roles as royalty. Quote, I intend to help create impact in people's lives. They also have a deal uh, with Netflix. It's going to pay them $100 million over five years. They have no experience producing anything. She's an actress. I'll tell you, I give him credit, though, for wanting, you know, taking a job like this. Because, like, say somebody like you, you could not not be working. So if you won $50 million in a lottery, right. you'd still want to find something to do to be impactful, wouldn't you? Right. Uh, what I would try to do if I became royalty, I would immediately start rel- rel- uh, relinquishing the crown. It's so boring, right? I'd hate to be royalty. Do I don't want to be do, bowed to. Do, yeah, do, as long as we don't have to bow in your prayer, well, we do it anyway. So right, yeah, so it's too late. Next. Did you notice the pandemic seems to be over and the booze boom also over? Alcohol sales dropped 1.9% ending the week of of March 13th. But the good news is we're drinking in bars. That is the unofficial reason why alcohol sales has gone down. The declines in retail is uh, wine and beer are still roughly 20% to 30% higher this month compared to March 2020. So we gradually ramped up to drinking too much. 
How great was it that every governor agreed we could not cut America off from alcohol? I tell you, I still, I am still using online services to order beer. Really? To have it delivered, yes. One by one? Yes. I'm like, oh, I'm in the mood for an IPA. You know what? I need an IPA delivered. And you, know you, and you could also get your refund, too. Maybe you can redeem the bottle when you bring another bottle. Next, NASA. This is so cool. Eric, you got to weigh in on this. Previews the first Mars helicopter flight. Every step taken is uncharted territories. How amazing is this? Uh, no earlier than April 8th it'll happen. In a news conference Tuesday, members of the JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory explained that there are still a number of challenges ahead. But I saw the animation. This is going to happen, don't you think? It is, yeah. And the cool thing is attached to the um, helicopter is a piece of the wing covering that was originally on the Wright Brothers airplane. That is so great. And good things. We got sound from Mars for the first time. We got vivid pictures from Mars. Now we're going to have an overhead shot from what seems to be like a mini drone. Next, Mike Tyson, another movie on him. It's executive produced by Jamie Foxx. Uh, and by the way, they're now changing it. It's going to be uh, the, the biopic is finally moving forward. And it looks like it's more going to be a series now well, to spend the whole life now. of Tyson's life. Well, there's two. There's going to be this movie that Jamie Foxx and Martin things? Scorsese is doing. And then there's the Hulu series. And Tyson is not happy, apparently, with either one of them now. And by the way, I think they're just about signed to fight in May, Holyfield, in another exhibition. So cool. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.